welcome to Chat With Us, the show that talks about all things health, wellness, life and business. I'm Rachel Dillon. And I'm Emma Dillon. And And this this is Chat Chat With Us. Today, I am very excited to be talking to Sue, who is an expert in emotional intelligence, neuroscience, and positive leadership, and her company, The Langley Group, provides practical applications of emotional intelligence, positive psychology, and neuroscience to inspire people to achieve their best possible outcomes in business and their career. I first met Sue at a point in my career when both myself and my team had experienced some early success in business, and along with that came a long list of new and complex challenges to navigate from both a professional and personal development perspective. These challenges were largely around communication, setting behavior expectations, and trying to manage and optimize people's performance in the best interest of the business. So let's welcome Sue. Welcome, Sue. I've done my best to introduce you, but I would love to know in your own words, how would you best describe you? Uh, I always think that's a lovely question because I always think I'm just a human being. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's interesting because I I do a lot of work around trying to break down categories that sometimes people put themselves in that aren't helpful. And so I often um, am cautious of how I choose to identify myself. Um, So how would I describe myself? I'm a human being. Um, I... uh, have reasonably high levels of well-being. I like making a difference in the world. My purpose in life is to breathe spirit into the minds of others to achieve their level of excellence. And I try to do that every single day. Well, that's a very humble description of just how incredible (laughs) Sue is. Um, But I love that. I guess, tell us a little bit about where you kind of started and how you got to where you are today, obviously running a really successful business, one that has worked with both our businesses several times Mm -hmm. and the growth and even the incredible feedback from the team every time we work with Sue. um, Yeah, tell us more about, I guess, how you got there. It's it's interesting really and I think um, I haven't taken the traditional route. So yes, my business uh, has two sides of the business. One is a global consulting business and we're very small, very boutique. Um, thankfully, we have a good reputation. Uh, so we're very well known in our field um, and I feel very grateful for that. And that's sort of been over the last 20 years and then we have the Langley Group Institute which is the registered training organisation And I suppose everything that I wanted to create from a business perspective was still all around how do I breathe spirit into the minds of other people to help them achieve their level of excellence. That's that's the whole reason why I did what I did. I suppose how have I got where I've got is definitely not the traditional route. Um, People sometimes ask me this and I'm like, don't do what I did. I'm sure you'll be far more successful if you do it elsewhere, but who knows? Um, So I was a lorry driver in Europe, was my first job. Um, And the reason I bring that up is because it certainly isn't part of my career now. Mm. And yet I am so grateful. I spent 18 months as the only female lorry driver that I met in an 18-month period. Wow. Um, And I was on my own driving my little truck through, you know, Netherlands, Germany, etc. most weeks. And it taught me a huge amount around confidence, around independence, Um, around figuring out how I would get out of challenges. I have to say I don't ever feel that as a female I was um, picked on, intimidated, suffered any particular negative situation because I learned to be very confident early on, sometimes even when I wasn't. Um, And I learned to figure stuff out. I mean, you know, you try... Yeah, Mm. you you try strapping a, um, I don't know, the end of a plough to the flatbed trailer with some ropes and you can't figure out how to knot the end of and you have to try and ask somebody in German how you're going to figure it out you know it's kind of cool so that was I always mention that because I think that really helped me when I started my own business which was several years later after being in the travel industry for about seven or eight years I started my own business and it taught me that I can do things differently I don't have to do what other people do And many people who start their own consulting business, it's usually just them to start Mm. with. Many people go out on their own. And usually their first client is they consult back to the client, the the job that they've just left. So the company they've just left. But I came to Australia. I had no contacts. I had no companies I'd worked with. I'd never done consulting before. And so I had to figure it out. And 
whilst at the time I probably lamented about, oh, I wish I knew more, I'm actually really grateful for the fact that I did it my own way, I suppose. Um, Probably not the best way or the easiest way. I did it my own way. But sometimes I think going through that learning process, you actually gain so much more than, you know, if everything was done for you, Nelly. You know, you had to learn and and problem solve and I think that becomes a big part of you know business absolutely and I totally agree with you problem solving figuring out new ways um being a little bit intuitive um you know figuring out people's motives and of course because I was teaching uh and and around leadership and the psychology of leadership and all these sorts of things and emotions emotional Mm. intelligence um I also had to learn to tap into my own pretty quickly and I remember a turning point was um all in the same week when I'd done a proposal for um, a gentleman who was working with AMP to do some stuff with his team. And uh, he'd done some stuff with me before, but he had to run this proposal up the flagpole to his boss. And when I spoke to him on the phone, he was hesitant. And I don't know what it was. I just turned around and said to him, I said, would you like me to charge you more money? And he said, that's the problem. He said, my boss doesn't think you're any good because you're too cheap. So that was one day that week. The following day that, or, or later on that week, I actually did a gig in Adelaide or in the Barossa Valley. And I charged $750. And it cost me that in flights and car hire. And I'm like, mm, I don't think I'm valuing myself <laughs> yeah. enough. And then I had a third thing the, the same week. And I'm like, right, okay. So problem solving. How do yeah. I actually value myself, my time, etc.? So all sorts of things that other people probably knew and I had to figure out. <laughs> I love that. And I guess for for people listening who don't know Sue personally, how what exactly, you know, this podcast is kind of labelled how to win in your career. And I think that's so such a good podcast name because honestly the things Sue has taught myself and, and our team in such a short period has been so life-changing. And I guess can you describe what exactly do you do when you go into a business and what kind of work um, and support do you offer? So um, for, from the Langley Group perspective, everything we do is based on the practical application of positive psychology, emotional intelligence and neuroscience. What we actually do is help people be the best they can be, mm-hmm. whether it's as an individual, whether it's as a leader, whether it's as a team. But we always use those sciences and the research that comes out of those to help people get there. So, as I say, I suppose most people would be familiar with, well, what do I do? We teach leadership skills Mm. or we um, help teams work more effectively. I guess we just do it a little bit differently. Mm. And for me, that's what I really love. And and somebody said to me very early on in business, when when you talk about how do you succeed in your career, um, it was a piece of advice that I got very early on that said, find your niche and stick to it. Mm. And it was really good advice because prior to then, I was just like, I've got to earn money. I've got to earn money. You know, I need to earn yeah. a living. Um, and when I went, do you know what? No, what I do is I share with people the practical application of the sciences of positive psychology, emotional intelligence and neuroscience. Those three intersect. Mm. And that's what I do. And our business became way more successful when I started focusing on that because I don't teach people the seven steps to decision making or change process and whatever you other people can teach that Mm. you can read books about that what I like to think that I share with people is how to ensure that I show up as the best version of me so that you can show up as the best version of you so that we can all do the best job we can and we're all gonna we all have the potential to be a terrible employee and a great employee at Mm. some point depending on whether we're using our strengths whether we're tapping into our values whether we're living our best life all of those sorts Mm. of things so I suppose that's what I like to help people do. And what I loved about having you is everything is backed up by research and science. And I think that that's also not rare, but there is a lot of fluff out there. And what I liked is everything was very, not only practical, but very much scientifically proven. And I think that gives you a lot of reassurance, right? When, you know, it's a big decision to have someone come in and influence your entire business. It's, it's a it's a big decision, and knowing that you're in the right hands, I think, as a business owner, is like, it's it's a nice feeling. <laughs> oh well, thank you. And and I think you're right. And I'm mm. not saying that we're the the right fit for everybody, depending what you're looking for. Mm. What I do know is I don't believe it's my job to come up with a framework that yeah. is the Langley Group framework, and you should all follow this framework. 
because that might not work for you. So I like to take, well, what does the research and the science say and share it with people and go, well, which of these is going to support you? How is it going to help you? Rather than just me regurgitating something that someone else has researched and found evidence around that doesn't need me to just sort of shuffle it around a little bit, I suppose. And one of the, um, so we had, we've had a couple of different sessions with Sue, but we did a leadership um, session with Sue and I'll never forget, we were building on our purpose, our mission, our values, etc. And Sue, we walk in there and Sue's like, all right, I'm going to blindfold you all. And we're like, <laughs> what on earth is happening? So we're all there blindfolded and Sue's like, now there's something in front of you. So I think there was a team of maybe there was six or seven of us and Sue's like, put it together. Anyway, so there's this group of us and we're on the ground, like figuring it out. Anyway, it's a tent and believe it or not, we put it together. And you got in it. And we got in it. But what was the best thing about it is afterwards, Sue was like, who communicated, who took charge? And you actually started to understand, wow, the personalities of each person in the leadership team really, really shone through. And I guess where the problems were too, you know, who wasn't heard, who was kind of left out or who, that it was just, it was incredible, this one little task, how much value we actually got out of it as a team, but also how well we, we did work together to get it up. Yeah. And it really did speak to each individual's personality with, with who did what. Yeah. Um, and that was something that I really enjoyed. So the thing, things like that with you, I've just found they stay and yeah. they stick and, yeah, I can't describe how much <laughs> I've learned from you. Well, I think just on that one, because I think that's a really cool activity in the fact that we, you know, spoke about if you think about a business, the business purpose and the business values is the ground you build your tent on. Mm -hmm. And the vision is what does the tent look like? And when you're all blindfolded, you have no idea what the tent looks like. You've got yes. to figure it out. And that may shift and change. But if you can get those fundamentals of why are we here? How do we work together? And you're absolutely right. And it was quite joyous. Obviously, I'm the one without the blindfold, so I can see what everyone's going doing. And again, to your point, you did work very well together as a team. And if we can really appreciate people's strengths mm. as a leadership team, that's what's important. It's when people get um, have a strength that gets ignored mm -hmm. and aren't able to contribute. Um, one person who happens to speak the loudest because they think they've got the answer, but actually they're just as blindfolded as everybody else and maybe they need to keep their mouth shut right yeah. now. <laughs> um, so um, I think it's wonderful if we can appreciate the strengths and allow those strengths to come to life at the right time and also know when to dial it back mm -hmm. if this isn't a time for you to shine. Yeah, and we did lots on strengths and weaknesses, which is something that I personally thoroughly enjoyed because, you know, a lot of the time we look at different things we do in life as, you know, we're either de-energised by it or energised by it. Mm -hmm. And something Sue taught me was with certain things that I find draining how do I take my strengths and use them to energize me in that task mm -hmm. and honestly that has been just such a life-changing event <laughs> for me <laughs> because even a lot of the time like I'm quite extroverted when I need to be but do I love big social gatherings honestly they drain me I, I, I'm quite I get quite it doesn't mean I can't turn up and be on and be the person I need to but I definitely find myself feeling quite drained after them so you know it's just about working on how can I find my strengths and, and utilise them. And mm. then also in a workplace, where am I overutilizing certain strengths? Because I definitely realised that was something I was doing as well. Yeah. And I think what's really important about what you just said is sometimes we can do different things in business that put people in these sort of categories of like, mm. well, Rach, clearly you're an extrovert, so yeah, you yeah. must <laughs> like big social gatherings. Um, and yet we know that if you get 30 extroverts in a room, every one of them will have differences. Mm. Whereas with strengths, we can look at, well, how do I tweak the strengths to really help me in these circumstances? Because I'm the same as you. You can put me on stage in front of 10,000 people and I'm perfectly happy mm. and energised. You ask me to go to a social gathering with 20 people. I'm like, oh, really? Do I have to? Yes. Um, so the idea of strengths is, well, how do I leverage those strengths that I show up um, as the best version of me when I need to? And equally that I can tap into that emotional radar and go, do you know what? I don't need to do this. Mm. I don't have to prove to somebody that I can mm. do this. I don't have to be this person. And also something for me as well was learning the strengths of my team members. Yeah. So, for example, um, Bronte her and I work quite closely together and competitiveness is a big surprise, surprise. It's very, it's a strength of mine, whereas Bronte, not at all. And is definitely, so just learning, okay, cool. Well, 
that strength, maybe dial that back a little bit when I'm working with Bronte, but then also that kind of complements our our working relationship because I can bring a bit more of that. So I actually found it so helpful, especially when you're going to, and we'll get on to feedback, but especially (laughs) when you're going to give feedback, being able to actually review your team members' strengths before giving it. I found that super useful. Yeah. Um, So so with this podcast name, How Do I Win in My Career?, to a lot of people, winning can mean success, money. Personally, to me, it's more about emotional stability and, and I don't like to say happiness because I think happiness it can mean a lot of things, but very much contentness maybe is a, is a better way to put it. Um, my question is, how do you sort of describe what, what's winning? Winning for me is flourishing in life. Um, I'm the same as you. Winning for me isn't a, a particular goal thing, tangible that I've got yeah. to achieve. Um, winning for me is flourishing, as in um, whatever I'm putting myself into, am I putting my, the best version of me into it? And when I say flourishing, because I'm the same as you, I don't like to use happiness because, yeah, I might be happy today, but I might not be happy in an hour's time or tomorrow yeah. or whatever you, because stuff might happen. Mm. So for me, flourishing is always do I have more tools in my toolkit than what life is throwing at me Mm. so to your point about emotional stability life is going to throw you curveballs you're going to get hit by adversity same as you're going to hopefully get hit by moments of joy etc we need to have the tools in our toolkit so for me winning in life is knowing that when life throws me a curveball I've got the skills and the strengths and the tools to handle it Um, And for me, the pandemic was a perfect example Mm. of that. I was able to take everything I learned, completely flip my business on its head and probably make it even more successful than it had been prior to the pandemic um, when lots of other people were struggling. And I I don't say that, that I think, woohoo, aren't I brilliant? It's no, it's using Mm. my tools in my toolkit um, to ensure that I can still show up as the best version of me, live my best life. Um, that's more important to me. So a bit like your emotional stability, mm. for me, that word flourishing or well-being, or whatever people want to use is, can I still be at my best? Can I make a difference to more people? Can I still mm. deliver on my values and my purpose every day? That's winning for me. I love that. And I guess I think it's very much like perspective, right? And I guess if you are someone who when you are throwing a curveball, you kind of melt into the ground and life is over how do you get people to understand because I think that's a great one sometimes I think a lot of people you know oh this has happened and now this is how and it's a very negative bubble mm. how do we stop looking at life as how do we start normalizing struggles because mm. it is a part of life and I guess what, how do you shift your mind to understand that life's not happening life's happening what's the word Yeah, it's not happening for you. (laughs) Well, I think that's a a kind of a key thing. Mm. And and maybe, and again, this is indicative, I suppose, of how I grew up with a a, probably a very strong work ethic of I don't believe life, you're entitled to a great life. Mm. You know, it's not that you're put on this earth and everything's meant to go beautifully Mm. for you. Life will happen. Um, I'm a big believer that life is a series of sort of luck and good decisions. Mm. So sometimes there'll be luck. Personally, I think it was complete luck that I managed to meet my other half and we're still together as we are Mm. nearly 30 years later. Um, But there's also been some really good decisions Mm. that have been involved in that sort of 30-year journey. So I think there's um, an element of life doesn't owe you Mm. anything. It's what are you choosing to do? What actions are you going to take? And to your point, when the curveball happens, it hasn't just happened to you. Oh, poor you, isn't it terrible? Yeah, it's happened. It's probably happened to hundreds of other people, um, similar things. What are you choosing to do about it? And I think that's the key thing for me is sometimes um, people want the the bad thing, whatever it is, to go away and forget that sometimes we, we need to make choices. We need to take action. And it's a bit like um, if we think about um, fitness, fitness, perfect example. You can't go to the gym once and expect that you're going to get toned, leaned muscles or a six pack or whatever it is that you're striving for. Squat 80 kilos. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. One off does Mm. not happen. Mm. Probably eight, 10, 12, 20, it may not happen. Mm. It's a bit like that with well-being and flourishing in life is we do need to normalize struggles, the same as we need to Mm. normalize the good stuff. You're going to have adversity. You're going to have difficulty. People around you are going to die. People are going to get sick. Um, You're going to have stresses and strains, financial difficulties, home life, whatever it happens to be. We're going to have those. Mm. And having the emotions that go with those Mm. is equally normal. To feel anxious, to feel sad, to feel grief, to feel anger, they are perfectly normal. 
what we need to do is put the tools in our toolkit so that we can handle them so we don't get derailed by them mm. and find that literally we've been flattened, as you said, we're sort of this puddle, this mm. heap on a floor. Mm. We've got to actually accept that, okay, this is how I'm feeling right now and what tools have I got in my toolkit to get myself back up? And I think that's sometimes we've, we, we know that with fitness, we know that with exercise. Well, it's the same with our overall mm. mental health, well-being, flourishing is... You need to do stuff every day. So so how do you start if you're someone who needs to start building their toolkit? How do you, where do you start if it's totally new to you and you haven't really lent into dealing with any of, of your, your emotions? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And there are some bigger things that um, we perhaps touched on around purpose and values and whatever that I think are important. And yet that might be, you know, where you get to later. Sometimes the small things is... People may not know this, but when you experience negative emotions, there's something that happens in your brain. Basically, you lose dopamine, and dopamine mm. is the number one fuel your brain needs to work well, if you mm. like. And there's so much more I could say on this, but we'll keep it simple. Negative emotions cause dopamine levels to drop. Positive emotions cause dopamine levels to rise. So if I was to say start somewhere, if you want your brain to work at its best, you need dopamine. Mm. One of the ways that you get dopamine is positive emotions. The other way you get dopamine is eat, sleep and exercise. Okay. So if I was to say, where are you going to start? Yeah, we can get to the purpose in life and the mm. values and all those sorts of things. But if I was to start somewhere, I'd say get your foundations in place of eat, sleep and exercise. They're absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you don't have to be, you know, sort of the world's best marathon <laughs> runner and, you know, whatever it happens to be, you know, the perfect person when it comes to eating. But generally move, eat well, sleep. Mm -hmm. Get the foundations in place and then positive emotions produce dopamine. So I would be finding little ways to generate positive emotions, mm. little effective ways. Scrolling social media and getting addicted to the little hit that you get when you get extra likes <laughs> is probably not the ideal. But what can you do to savour something beautiful in your world? Um, Stop and think about what you're grateful for. Even when you're going through challenges, mm. there's usually mm. one thing you can think oh, of to be 100%. grateful for. Um, so I'd be looking at the, the sometimes the little simple things. And again, people often ask me, they want the big mm. thing that's going to make a difference. It's not the big thing that makes a difference. It's the two minutes that you spend looking at a sunset and thinking, how beautiful is that? Mm. Um, looking at the person that you love and saying, wow, I'm so lucky to have this person in my life as opposed to whinging because they haven't picked their clothes up off the floor or whatever <laughs> it is that we do. Um, so they would be the things I would be starting with, the small things. I feel like something I've always worked really hard on and I think it was kind of ingrained in me a little bit by my parents too was just being super present and appreciating the small things and I'll never forget when Toby and I first started dating he was like I can't believe how much you appreciate like the sunrise or the flowers or the way the sunlight hits the building I'm always talking about how beautiful things are yeah. and how much how much I love them. He, he was so surprised by how present I was in all these moments and over time I watch him now oh look over there and this <laughs> and that and I was like there is so much joy in being able to like and appreciate the small things you do whether that be walking down and grabbing a coffee in the morning you know taking your dog for a walk or whatever it is it's like as you said, and it's very similar to fitness, people think there's this one, this number one supplement or this number one key. And unfortunately, it's not. It's these small things that we, you know, that build up over time. Mm. And I think when you can enjoy the small, the bigger, it's less, it's, it's less valuable, right? Yeah. It's not these constant highs and lows in life. It's just, you know, working along. Yeah. And I, I love what you just said there, because what sometimes people fail to realize is those little things that you do every day mm. of looking at the sunrise or noticing, I don't know about you, the, the smell of rain on oh, dry ground is just grass. beautiful. Oh, isn't yes. it? The smell of cut grass is amazing. Oh. <laughs> All these sorts of things. But what we know is the more you see those things, mm. the more you look for those things, the more you notice those things, you're training your brain. Yeah. And that for me is what it's about is when you do the little things, you're literally creating new neural pathways. Mm. So of course, what happens is you start to notice more of them mm. um, so to your point when you're around other people and you're doing it then their brain's looking yeah. and then all of a sudden they're going oh yeah you're yeah. right wow that's beautiful so I think the the small things nobody wants to hear this to your point mm. they want the drug that's going to give yeah. you the best hit um, but actually the, the little things are the things that will change your life 
It's curiosity, right? I feel like it's nearly becoming a child again yeah. because you look at children and they're so curious. Everything's exciting. Everything's new. And it's like, how do you maintain that as, as you get older? Yeah. So can I just yeah, pick yeah. up on the curiosity? Because it's really interesting when you look at a lot of the research and the evidence, um, there is amazing research around curiosity. Mm. If you ask a lot of researchers in this field, they will talk about things like curiosity. They will talk about noticing, the art of noticing, noticing the new, seeing something different. And what we know is when you do that, that's when you're creating new neural pathways. Mm. So if you think about um, curiosity, what it does is it opens us up to possibilities. Yeah. So we see more things. Whereas when we're um, more negative, we tend to narrow our focus. Oh. We tend to critique and look for what's wrong. Now, you can train your brain to do either of those. I know which one I'd rather have. And, and I definitely know when I'm going the other way, right? It's like everything's negative. And like when you're in that bad mindset, sometimes Toby's like, geez. And I'm like, <laughs> and then you kind of just snap yourself out of it. It's, yeah. it's easier to be negative. Of course. Like anything, the harder option is always the better option. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so a question I wanted to ask you selfishly, um, you've worked with a lot of businesses. You've worked with a lot of leadership teams and management teams. And what is the difference between good leaders and not as good leaders? It's a really mm. good question and it will definitely vary. Um, one thing that I do know is a leader that plays to their strength mm -hmm. is a better leader. Yep. Whether they have competitive as a strength, whether they have empathic as a strength, whether they have strategic awareness, as, whatever they mm. have, leaders that play to their strength. One thing that I do totally believe is the better leaders are ones that care about their team members. Mm. Um, and I say that in quite generically when I say care, as in they will notice mm. when something's off with a team yep. member. They will spend the time with that team member. They will check in with that team member. So I think there's a big thing, whether you call it emotional intelligence or, or caring or whatever, you, I think there's an element of that. How it comes across will differ from the person. Mm. So I don't think it has to be that everybody has to be the one that sits in a snuggly chair and tell me all of your feelings. Yeah. I don't do that, to be perfectly honest. Um, sometimes I don't want to know what people go up to at the weekend and things. Um, um, but what I mean is they do genuinely care about mm. their team members. Mm. Um, of course, a good leader is still going to drive for results. And yet they're probably doing it in concert mm. with their team members as opposed to at the expense of their team members. Um, so I think that's a, a big difference. I also think the best leaders are people that really know themselves. Mm. Um, to your point earlier about that emotional stability in yourself, mm. um, you might not always get it right. Chances are you're not. As a human, as a mm. leader, whatever, you, you're not going to get it right. You're going to make stuff ups all the time. Um, a leader that knows themselves and is actually able to go, do you know what? Yeah, I, I nailed that. I did that really well. And I completely stuffed that up. Let me just backtrack. I've got to figure out how to mm. fix this. I think there's a lot about self-awareness that we probably underestimate in leadership. And I, I, I'd always viewed myself as a pretty self-aware person, but I must say after some of two sessions, <laughs> I was like, I would get, I would write down my answer really confidently and then Sue would be like, oh, man, I'd be like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not as self-aware, which is actually was one of my weaknesses. And I, I, genu I would have described myself as pretty self-aware. So I think, yeah, understanding where you can be better is just... Yeah. It's such a great, a great skill to have as a leader. And good leaders yeah. learn. Yeah. So if you think about um, somebody who sort of knows it all, you know, once upon a time in school, teachers were the oracle of all things yeah. and you just sat and listened. <laughs> we know now Google is the oracle yeah. of all things. <laughs> <laughs> but um, to that point, there, nobody knows everything. Mm. So I think, again, good leaders will learn. Mm. Um, not just good leaders, good people. Mm. You know, if we want to get better, we can't assume we know it all. Mm. Um, you know, people sometimes think, oh, you know, well, you get wisdom with age. Well, no, you don't, not yeah. unless you learn. Yeah. Um, you can be wise at 20, you can be unwise at 70 or vice versa, depending if you've chosen to learn along the way. So I think that's a, a critical skill. I think some adults are still 13-year-olds, you know, who haven't taken that time to like grow and it's very easy for us to not take. I, I genuinely think, to be honest, growing up, I didn't know it existed. I didn't know personal development mm. was a thing. Yeah. I kind of, honestly, not until probably the last like five or so years, um, so I love that there is more awareness around this. And I, I even saw 
um, Toby was looking at some schools for his daughter and one of them had positive psychology in the classrooms. And I was like, how incredible is that, that Mm. it's really becoming something that is taught from such a young age? Um, Because I definitely think, yeah, as I said, I wasn't even aware of well, I was yeah. in a room um, the last two days with uh, a group of leaders, um, adults, so mainly probably between, I know it was a big age range, probably le- youngest was maybe 22, oldest was maybe 65, mm. so a huge age range. Um, and what was really interesting, we were talking about emotions and how to handle them and the, the science of emotions. And most people were like, why do we not teach this? Yeah. And as I say, we had a 22-year-old and a 65-year-old and all of them are going, why have I never been taught this yeah. stuff? And we don't, you know, sometimes we talk about emotions in kindy, you know, Mm. smiley face and angry face and happy face, whatever. Um, But we don't actually get taught the science of well-being. Mm. Um, So I agree with you. I I see people that want to learn and grow and be the best version of themselves are the ones that win in life. Mm. I love that. I guess following on from the leadership question, what would you say is the difference between a really strong working team and a not so strong working team? How can a... What qualities are needed for a team to best work together? Yeah, look, I think there are many answers mm. to this question and I'm not saying I've got an answer that's that's better than others. Um, where I see teams work really well, again, is understanding each other and playing to strengths. You mm. mentioned it earlier around, you know, you and Bronte and, mm. and looking at different strengths or when you're giving feedback, how do you actually give um, feedback based on strengths and how do you appreciate? I think having the right people in the right roles Um, we do a lot of job crafting around how do we adjust roles to really help people learn and grow and give those opportunities. And that's when you can (coughs) really find a team can work really well together if uh, people really appreciate each other. Um, My belief is there always needs to be a why. Mm. Why why are we doing this? Mm. Um, In any team, or for me as an individual, as an employee, why am I even here? What difference am I making? And again, that will matter more potentially for some people than another, but all of us like to feel we're contributing. Mm. So if in a team I don't feel that I contribute, that I'm making a difference, that I'm adding value, it will tend to diminish elements of the team. Yes, we want inclusion. We want to feel a sense of belonging. And on top of that, the why. Mm. Why are we even here? Why are we doing what we're doing? Um, and you see this in, in anecdotal stories, you know, of, um, you know, the cleaner at Ferrari that says, I help Ferrari win races. Mm. Whether that's an urban mm. legend or not, that's kind of what you want. You want mm. the whole team knowing why they're doing what they're doing and pulling together no matter what their different component is. So I think there's many yeah. answers to that question and I'm not sure if I can. Oh, I, I love that. <laughs> and I feel like something I also learned from you is, Different people are incentivized by different things. Mm. And for a lot of people, that why is a big driver as to why they get up every day and come. And, you know, I always think about it. How lucky are we that people choose to come and work for us, choose to be in our businesses? And I guess keeping that why very clear, I think it can get a bit blurry sometimes, very clear and very strong is is a really important part of business. Well, to your point, I don't show up at work every day so I can put this picture on social media or I can write these words or I can um, put these pieces of material together, whatever it is mm. I, I'm doing to contribute, why I'm doing it is to empower women to be mm. the best they can be. Mm. That's the bit that mm. lights. I mean, even me saying it, I yeah. don't even work yeah. here. And yeah. me saying that yeah. makes a difference. Mm. It's not that I do stuff. I mean, I sit there and do proposals. I sit there and do slides. I sit there and, mm. you know, I get on calls. I get on meetings. I don't turn, turn up at work for all of those things. Yeah. I turn up at work because I want to know that each time I do something, I'm helping, in my case, breathe spirit into mm-hmm. the minds of others to achieve mm-hmm. their level of excellence. That's why I do what I do. I love that. And it just comes back to having a very clear purpose as a business. And honestly, again, something early on, I didn't really – I had heard people talk about it, but I was like, oh – what do you mean? I know, I know why, you know, but it's the importance of actually spreading that through your team and yeah. um, something we've also learned from Sue. Especially on the challenging days. Yes. I always say it's really important when things are going a bit tits up, shall we say? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, on the feedback piece, because this was another thing that I was very <laughs> surprised about, you know, personally, when you would say the word feedback to me, I would initially think negative. Um, oh, so I've done something wrong. You know, I always viewed feedback as negative. And honestly, I very much 
avoided giving it, even though I know it's the most important thing. <laughs> but it was because I had built up this stigma around it and something that I, you know, myself and the team had learned from Sue is, and I'd love for you to talk more on it, what is feedback and how can we best utilise it in, the, in a business? Yeah, well, one of the things I always remind myself around feedback is feed is to nourish. Mm -hmm. So that kind of helps that feedback often does have negative connotations. And, and we've even got studies that says if you put someone in an fMRI scanner and you measure their brain, you hear the word, can I give you some feedback? And your brain immediately goes, yeah. <laughs> um, but actually feed is to nourish. Mm. So if your feedback is genuine um, and what you're doing is you're trying to help the person grow or help yourself grow, whoever you're giving feedback to, um, if that's your intention, then why wouldn't we want to give mm. feedback? So that's what I always remind myself is, is what's my intention? The other thing about feedback that I think is important is, is your opinion of value? Because if you're going to give me feedback at some point today on what I'm wearing, to be perfectly honest, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care whether you like what I'm wearing or not because yeah. your opinion in this case doesn't matter to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. It might matter to other people, but it doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. um, and yet if you're my boss giving me feedback on what I'm doing and how well I'm performing or not performing is of value mm. to me. So, and if you're my boss, yeah. what I'm wearing might be important mm. to you. Um, so if we think about feedback, we've got to think about, are you doing it to nourish and help the other person grow? And is your opinion about this thing important? Mm. Um, because it may not be. Um, once you then give, choose to give feedback is making sure that we're giving feedback on all aspects. And again, sometimes we think, oh, I've got to give feedback on the thing that I've done mm. wrong. And again, if we think about how the brain is wired, we know the brain is wired to look for errors. Mm. So if you're my boss, you're going to notice the things I do wrong. You're probably not going to notice the 320 things I do well, but you're going to notice the one mm. thing where I stuff it up because it's an error. It, it alerts us to it. So when giving feedback, we've also got to remember to give feedback on the good stuff. Mm. You know, What's the I, ratio again? Five to one. Five, five to, one. to one is yeah. useful when it comes to positive, negative um, communication. And it doesn't always mean that it's five good things and one bad thing. It can be that you're still giving me feedback about the not so good things in a positive way. Yeah. And I think that's what we sometimes forget is sometimes we assume good feedback is just saying pat, pat, well done. Mm. Um, great job, Rach. Mm. But that's not good feedback. Mm. Good feedback is when we're specific. We're letting people know what specifically we're grateful for, what specifically that person has done well. Which is something now I always do. So someone will send something to review and usually I'll be like, oh, yeah, looks like great or this or that. Or Now I'm like, no. Even if it's good, I go through the, like, and try to find things to like talk about specifically yeah. because when someone's put a lot of work into something, you may be in a rush or whatever else, but you know, taking the time to acknowledge where was good rather than like, looks great, let's yeah. go. It, it, it really does make a difference. So well, again, it yeah. comes back to value because if I send you a design to review, for instance, and you go, yeah, looks great, well done. It's like, okay, thanks, that's nice. Yeah. But if you say it looks great, well done, I love how you've cut it here, I love yeah. how you've changed the shape of this, that bit looks really flattering, then I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. I've added value and I know what I've done that makes a difference. And also you know what good is, if that, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, and what to do more yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. to do more of. Okay, I like this one. What prevents people from achieving happiness and success? I know that's a very broad question. It's a great question yeah. and I would say themselves. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, um, uh, and I'm not suggesting life doesn't throw difficulties. I mean, we've got so many difficulties yeah. going on in the world at the moment that uh, do get in the way. Um, one of the biggest barriers to us achieving happiness and success depends on how you define it, obviously, um, but achieving happiness is often we get in our own way. Mm. We don't recognise we're getting in our own way. Mm. And, and actually, I'm going to give you an example of this, if I may, because it's one yes. of the... I the, love your example. <laughs> well, it's one of the funny stories that came about um, that was sort of, I don't know, a year or so when the, after the pandemic hit. And I was working with a CEO and a group of senior leaders virtually. And um, everybody was very stressed and, and overwhelmed and so much going on because it was having a big impact on their business. Uh, actually, in some ways, in a good way that they had a huge extra volume of work and pressure. Um, and one particular gentleman said, all we need is for IT to turn our emails off at four o'clock on a Friday and not turn them on again till nine o'clock on a Monday morning. And I said, or you could be an adult and shut your laptop. <laughs> 
And of course, he thankfully he smiled because I said it with a smile on my face. But that was a perfect yeah. example of someone getting in their own way. And I know that's only a, f- a silly little flippant example, really. But sometimes you will know people, I know people who've been through huge adversity and yet they are flourishing in life. Mm. And there are other people who've been through really minor things who are poor me, poor me, poor me. So I would say sometimes the biggest barrier is ourselves. And what would you say is the first step? Because it's very easy. It's like the, you know, blaming other people, not taking accountability for things. How do you start to take accountability for your own life? It's a really good question. And there's a real, uh, a chunk of um, research in positive psychology on personal responsibility Mm. of actually taking the steps and doing the behaviours. Sometimes we want other people to fix it for us. And don't get me wrong, I've had my times where, you know, I remember um, my other half used to say to me when I first started in business, wouldn't it be wonderful if Richard Branson just came along and gave you $10 million? I'm like, Yes, it would. (laughs) Unlikely to happen, but, you know, it's it's all good. But actually, personal responsibility is getting up each day Mm -hmm. and doing stuff. Um, It comes back to what we said before. It's the little Mm -hmm. things, whether Mm -hmm. it's personal responsibility of if you want to get fit, eat better, move more. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to be successful in life, do stuff. Um, Again, I had a lovely example of a lady who was um, really, really wanted to start her own business. I really want to start my own business. I really want to start my own business. And uh, a few questions later, I sort of said to her, well, what sort of business do you want to start? Oh, anything. I'm like, okay. How long have you wanted to start your own business? Oh, at least four years I've been thinking about it. I said, what have you done? I don't know because I don't know what to start. And I'm like, okay, well, start something. Um, And I think that's, again, the thing is, again, nobody wants to hear this often. It's personal responsibility. It's taking control of the little things that you can control. There might be so many things outside your realm of control. There might be so many things that have happened to you in your past, trauma, difficulty. We've, everybody has mm. had difficulty, mm. and I totally respect that. But what can I do right here, right mm. now, to take control of one small thing that might lead to the next small thing that might lead to the next small thing? It's so funny you say that, and I've, I've talked about this example on the podcast before, but... I'll never forget early, early on in my fitness journey, I was very uneducated and I would only eat clean food or what I classified as clean food. But then I would be ravenous because I was restricting myself of the foods that I liked. Um, And then I would, you know, binge to a degree and then I would finish and I would tell my partner, next time don't let me do that. You know, next time don't (laughs) let me do that. And this cycle went on and on. And one day I went to say it to him and as the words started to come out, I swallowed them and I said, how about you don't let yourself do that? Yeah. And that honestly was a defining moment. And from then on, I really learned. And I was probably 19 years old at the time. I learned, well, anything, you have the power and the control to do and change anything in your life. Stop relying on others to do it. Because unfortunately, we, I always say we're born alone and we die alone. <laughs> and there's a lot of power in understanding that you are the one to make those decisions mm. and to make that change. Yeah, and to your point, whether you have somebody in your life that you live with, a long-term partner, a short-term partner, whether you've got friends, family, whatever you're around you, you still make the choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, sometimes we we get very impacted, of course, by the people around us, very influenced, and yet making the choice. Um, my other half um, stopped drinking alcohol. And he said, oh, you don't have to if you don't want to. And I'm like, well, that's fine. And occasionally in the last year or so, um, you know, I've gone, yeah, I fancy a glass of wine. Mm. And I've had one. Mm. And sometimes I'm like, actually, I don't fancy one. Mm. And I never drank that much in the first place. But to your point, whenever I've had one, he's still never had one. He hasn't yeah. gone... Well, you're having one, so oh, I'll have one then yeah. as well. And yet we do that all the time. Yeah. Oh, well, you're doing it, so I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. And well, if you don't want to do it, don't, don't do, do it. Don't do it. Yes. <laughs> and it, it's something, you know, in relationships, because it's very easy to kind of morph into one another, right? So it's like, how do you keep that, keep your own thoughts and be your own person? Because yeah. also, that's why you attract, that's what attracted you to each other in the first yeah. place. It's a really good point, actually. Yeah. I'm going to come back on that because um, my other half and I have been together for forever and I I love him to bits and he treats me like a princess and spoils me like crazy and we have the best relationship and um, it's really interesting because I hear a lot of people often women who are trying to change their partner and I'm like I don't get that you fell in love with them for who they are I have never tried to change my other half now has he changed Mm. yes of course he has I've changed naturally Um, but the idea is is you love the person for who they are otherwise don't be with them and I find that honestly I've seen a lot of my friends do it. They'll meet someone. It's like there's certain things that they don't love, 
but they kind of, I think, convince themselves, oh, it's fine, like, I, I can change that. Yeah. And then they, they, they never do. It's yeah. very unlikely. Unless someone wants to change themselves, they're not going to change. Yeah. So, And sometimes yeah. people will change themselves to then fit what they think the other person wants of them, which is probably even more difficult. Yeah, 100. <laughs> and uh, that made me laugh because um, something now Toby and I do, because Sue's like me and my husband, whenever they go out for dinner – they get their phones and they they kiss and they put them on the every time me and Toby go out now Toby's like give me your phone like phones down and I'm like he's like Sue does it I was like oh it's so true but it's so such a good thing that we do whenever we're with each other and Toby I must say is a lot better than I but that like present being present because yeah. it's very different coexisting with your partner than actually spending that quality time oh, together absolutely yeah. yeah and I love that I mean <laughs> the, for the reason and again you, you mentioned this earlier about the um, the science behind it mm. I love the fact that there is research behind the fact that even having a phone upside down on the table between you reduces the quality of the conversation by 30 percent as soon as I read that study it, that's why David yeah. and I started to do it I would get our phones and go, <laughs> put them together and then hide them under the table or put them on a chair and they're out of the way sometimes actually I don't even bring my phone anymore which is probably not good <laughs> I think it's great in a world where we're consumed by technology and especially with what we do we're all day on calls or yeah. with people it's like it's nice to have even for myself yeah. I like my own you know, people are like, did you see that on TikTok? I'm like, I, I'm not on TikTok as much as you, you would probably think. <laughs> I, I like to phone down at 7.30 for me and then it doesn't yeah. come back on till 7. Yeah. 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 To win at work, obviously you need to be able to work with other people. In the beginning, it was certainly a challenge for me, as I've mentioned. I was a, I was a fitness girl, you know, and the next <laughs> thing it was like, oh, cool. You have all these, you know, this team and now I'm a manager of some sort and I'm a leader. And I guess... How do you get the most out of people at work? I guess we kind of touched on this, but... Yeah, as I say, I think uh, caring for them, appreciating their strengths, uh, knowing that you're probably going to get irritated by somebody mm. else at some point, it doesn't make them a bad person, it doesn't make you right. Um, sometimes as a leader, uh, particularly when you're the owner of the business, you do have to make decisions mm. that people are not going to like. Mm. Um, and you have to accept that. That's as part of what you do. You, it's your business. It's not a democracy always. You, you get people's views and opinions and you try and engage people. Um, and yet sometimes you are going to upset people and, and hopefully you can do it as gently as you mm. can. And yet sometimes you need to do that. So I think it's, for me, it's about appreciating people. I mean, absolutely have I had to make some tough choices in my business and I've had to um, encourage people to leave when there hasn't been a good fit. Um, have I always got the best out of everybody? I don't know. Um, I certainly know there are some people that I have been with me forever. I've got one person who has been with me for about 18 years and we wow. we end every conversation now with, love you, yeah, love you too. Um, and she's probably the closest person to me and we've even had this conversation that she says, I am never leaving you. Like we are always, you can't get rid of me. You're literally going to have to fire me. And I'm like, no, you're never going anywhere. So I think there's got to be something. Early on in my career, I thought I had to be a little bit careful about um, friends. Mm. Um, so I used to keep a bit of a distance mm. because I knew I would potentially need to make decisions that people didn't like at times. Um, I think with my own business, um, how I've got the best out of my team is absolutely caring about them, mm. noticing people's strengths and being able to job craft and, and juggle um, people's roles, which I know sometimes you can't do. Mm. Um, and also being able to make the call, which I have done on a couple of occasions, where somebody isn't the right fit and yet I have been able to help them leave to mm. find a job that's more suited, mm. which again I think comes back to do I actually care about the person? Um, yeah. I don't know if that's the right way, um, it's certainly something that's worked for me. And have you felt those tough conversations, have you felt you've always like really faced them head on or is it something that you've avoided or? Oh, great question. <laughs> no, absolutely. Asking selfishly <laughs> again. Look, I remember the first time I had to uh, make someone redundant and oh, I was so uncomfortable. I knew it was going to come because the person just wasn't doing the job. And they were lovely. They were probably the, the sweetest, nicest yeah. person that I'd had, but they were not good at all. And um, I, and we talked about strengths before, the, before I had that conversation, and I probably did put it off a little bit longer than mm. I, I should have done. Um, I got my strengths out and I went, right, courage was the first <laughs> one, curiosity 
and the curiosity was, I've never fired somebody before. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. So that was a curiosity. <laughs> and compassion. Yeah. And they were the three things I thought, I'm going to approach this. And I have to say, it was such a wonderful conversation. Oh, that's so um, nice. Yes, it ended with the person leaving. And did she really want to leave? No. Mm. Um, but actually, the quality of the conversation was far better than I ever expected when I was putting it off for a few weeks. Um, Again, uh, there's probably been one situation I didn't tackle very well when I didn't realise I was being undermined mm. um, by somebody else in the business who was telling other people that I was too busy to talk to them and they yeah. should come to them instead of me. And I didn't realise it was happening. I Conquering knew there was an under Yeah, there was this undercurrent and I probably didn't tackle that head on because I wasn't aware of it I just knew something mm. was off um I've got better at tackling mm. things um and it's interesting because um I was talking to my sister the other day and she's always been the um her words not mine opinionated as in she will give her yeah. opinion she will be able to say what she thinks and whatever you and uh, and I said oh I know I'm not as good at that and whatever you and she said no you she said you do you always mm. tackle things and I'm like oh really well if she's thinking yeah, that yeah. now then clearly I've got better at it <laughs> and it's kind of brings it back to that repetition thing right yeah. and it was funny I, I did something the other night which put me like in a vulnerable position and I remember once I'd done it I was like oh I want to take a bet and and Toby said to me he's like well being vulnerable is actually doing it sitting in it and not responding to anything around it yeah. and I was like oh that's so uncomfortable but then he's like yeah but just so is going to the gym and squatting for the first time it's reps the more you do it yeah. the better and easier it's never easy but easier it becomes yeah and one word you said there which I think is really important is vulnerable often mm. we don't deal with things because we feel uncomfortable mm. and as you know I have a saying get comfortable with the uncomfortable emotions mm. you know sometimes we do need to sit with it sometimes we do need to feel uncomfortable and it is vulnerable and mm. that's often why we don't do it mm. and yet why not why why aren't we prepared to do this we can't just assume everything's going to be all swimming all the time <laughs> um, and sometimes we do need to be uncomfortable to get a better outcome mm. I love that Okay, let's end with one last question. If you could give any business like business owners advice, one tip, what would that tip be? It would be the tip that was given me, find your niche and stick to it if you like. But what I what I suppose I mean and I interpret by that is be yourself. Mm. And I'm going to use the word authentic and people that know me know I'm not keen on the word authentic <laughs> sometimes because I think people bash other people over the head of it. I'm, I'm just being authentic. I'm telling you what I think. Um, but know who you are and be true to who you are mm. rather than trying to fit the mould of somebody else. I see um, men and women, but certainly some women wanting to start their own businesses in something unique and wonderful. And sometimes they lose their confidence or they're mm. not sure or they're um, doubting themselves or other people put their opinion across of that won't work, mm. etc. So I suppose one of the key things I'd say is, is know yourself, be yourself and be true to yourself. Mm. And just because it's not the way somebody else does it, who cares? Yeah. Maybe that's what makes you special. I love that, Sue. Thank you so much. I could ask you 1,000 more questions, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on. I truly appreciate it and I couldn't recommend Sue more. If everyone wanted to find you on socials, um, where would they find you? Um, if you just look up Sue Langley, you'll find it. So uh, Langley Group or the Langley Group Institute, but mainly Sue Langley. Sue Langley Official, I think, is Instagram or Sue Langley on LinkedIn or Facebook. So, Amazing. Yeah. Thank or you, TikTok. Sue. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us and we hope you loved today's episode. Make sure you follow our socials, chatwithus.podcast on Instagram and TikTok to stay up to date with all of our show info. Chat, Chat soon. soon.